Atwood defended there by Harris. Again, another great matchup. Atwood drawing BYU's number one pole. I mean, I don't think there's any question that Harris is the number one pole for the Y. And that one will be a fun one to watch. Welcome to In the Valley. This is episode five. I'm your host, Steve Heyman. I'm excited for uh, this episode's guest. Uh, he is a legend in the MCLA world. He is very connected with uh, with the uh, ins and outs of what's going on in the MCLA. Um, I'll give you guys a little bit of background. He is a five-time RMLC champion, uh, three or two as a player, three as a coach. He is a three-time all-conference player. He is a two-time national champion, one as a player, one as a coach. He was a two-time All-American, a two-time team captain at BYU, and the 2006 RMLC Defensive Player of the Year. He's currently a father of four, uh, ages 11, 9, 6, and 4. And uh, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce Jordan Harris. Jordan, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself a little bit here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I think you covered a little bit of my background. I grew up Colorado, played uh, lacrosse at Arapahoe High School for Brian uh, Perry and Brian Langtree, some amazing coaches. Uh, and I had the privilege to to end up in the MCLA uh, playing for Jason Lamb at BYU uh, and fell in love not just with, with uh, lacrosse at, at the college level, but the MCLA in general. So I've been really involved with the MCLA and following it since probably 2001. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been around for a long time. Yeah, and you you also are a co-host, uh, and I don't know whose brainchild it is, and maybe it's both of yours, but for Virtual Varsity, those of you that don't know it, it it's the premier MCLA uh, information on Twitter. You have a podcast. Uh, it's a great place to get really good, accurate analysis of the MCLA. Tell us a little bit about uh, like what you're currently up to with Virtual Varsity. Yeah, virtual virtual varsity, uh, virtually varsity was was kind of came out of like needing to scratch the itch of of lacrosse after I had to step away from coaching just because you know had kids, had family, had obligations at work, all that stuff kind of made it hard for me to dedicate enough time uh, to be a coach. But I still wanted to stay around, and I still had this itch to just stick around MCLA lacrosse. I've met so many people, knew knew all the players, knew the coaches, knew everybody. And so uh, I think it was like 2017, uh, we started uh, Virtually Varsity. It was myself, and then I kind of pulled along a couple people with me, uh, namely Taylor Red, who is my co-host on the podcast. And the idea was to say, hey, listen, a lot of stuff that happens in the MCLA is just people kind of winging it, like especially around the polls. Like that was kind of our our driving factors. Like, man, I don't think people are looking at the results when they look at the polls. And so we decided that we'd try to put a little bit more data on top of what was happening at the MCLA, MCLA to try and say, okay, if you have better data, would we make better decisions in some of these things? And um, so we kind of lean into doing things like uh, we built an RPI um, for the MCLA and, and published it, made it public. Taylor has built a, a, um, iterative uh, algorithm called Red Rankings that does a top to bottom ranking of every team in the MCLA. Um, and then we did other things of, of trying to dive deep and say, you know, historically, what teams 
how have teams fared when it comes to All-American selection? Do we have any sort of tournament selection bias that you can point to? What things matter when you're actually selecting uh, the tournament? So all these were kind of like big questions that we wanted to get more conversation around. And after, like, if you go way back, so if you've been around the MCLA for a while, if you haven't, you've never heard of this. But there used to be a forum called collegelax.us. It was run by Sonny Peeper. It was awesome. Uh, and I was like a participant there as like an anonymous account while I was playing because if if uh, Jason Lamb knew I was on there, uh, he would have killed me. So I had an anonymous account on there. Uh, but there was tons of information and like conversation around the MCLA. And then it kind of died um, with with the college locks forms going offline, like around, like, I want to say like 2010 ish. Um, but they kind of revived the Twitter. And so we jumped in and, and tried to try to drive some of that conversation. Um, as for, as for the current state of virtually varsity, uh, it has also now gone the way of coaching a little bit of being something that I've had to put a little bit back on the back burner. Uh, we started my own business, uh, with a couple co-founders, um, about a year and a half ago, almost two years at this point. Uh, and that's been really busy. And so, uh, we, we, we tried to different ways to keep it going, but it's been tough. Um, as for what it will look like this spring, probably TBD, but I, I'd like to keep it going. Like it's, it's fun. People enjoy it. Uh, and I enjoyed looking at the, the information, trying to get it out there. So, uh, we'll, we'll try and figure out that. Yeah, I know. I mean, a lot of people really love what the the content that you produce and and allowing for a peek behind the curtain that I think, like you said, like there, the MCLA is a lot of people trying to make good decisions, but not necessarily with good data. Right. And so um, with what you and Taylor Red have done with virtual varsity, in my opinion, has really made, well, we would hope it would hold people somewhat accountable uh, to try and weed out those biases that seem to be in there. Uh, because uh, I mean, from the selection committee standpoint, uh, like it's like w w trying to read somebody's mind, like you do, you, you can't figure out what they value at any one given point or one given year. It's just, Hey, that team seems to be a team we like this year. So they're going to get the nod over the other team. So, um, I, I mean, that's, yeah, and I, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not the sole reason of this, but one of the things that I'm excited for is after banging the drum year after year about some set selection criteria being like, this is crazy. We don't publish selection, selection criteria. Here's how NCAA D2 does it. Here's how NCAA D3 does it. Here's how NCAA D1 does it. We have most of this data now. Like, let's just figure out what what is our set criteria, even if it's not perfect, because everybody, everybody will know the target they're shooting at. Um, and I really got on that train after the, I think you and, and Brian uh, talked about this on an earlier podcast, but after the selection committee decision to take uh, Santa Clara over UVU, um, just listening to people that were in the room and getting some feedback about how that process went down is crazy. And if you tried to apply why UVU got left out in later years, then other teams were being judged by different criteria. And so like that was one of my pure frustrations with the league is like we can nail down criteria here and tell the teams what they're shooting for. Like does travel matter? How much travel matters? Like should I be planning my schedule? Like if I'm trying to make the tournament, does that mean I need to fly across the country? Does that give me a better chance to make the tournament? Well, we don't know. It depends on the year and depends on the committee. So the rumor is they're locking down some – set criteria this summer and the, and it may have happened in the past couple of weeks. Usually their uh, summer meetings are sometime at the beginning of August, but uh, having that come out and be published will be a huge step forward for the league. Oh, that'll be a huge win because I know one of the, like that year that we got left out of Santa Clara, uh, we were just left scratching, uh, le got left out for Santa Clara. We we're kind of left scratching our head and look, I, I, 
we have bias. Obviously, we thought we were <laughs> we thought we were the better team over the two. Um, and, and this last year, uh, we had when we built a schedule. It's what what do they value? So you kind of just have to go out and we built a schedule. We had a ton of ranked preseason ranked teams on there on who we thought were going to be successful. And then by the mid season, half those teams were had losing records. And so, you know, you go out there and try and see what they value. You know, we always are now going to do a cross country, uh, trip. Like we're always going to go back to the East coast every year. We always end up in California. Um, and now we're trying to fill out the spaces in between. Um, and so I think this is, I, I'm happy to hear that, that I hadn't heard that, that they're going to come out with some sort of criteria. Cause that's going to be super helpful for these teams that, that, uh, aren't a part of the who's who, or that are trying to establish themselves. Like uh, for instance, us here at UVU, um, you know, only until recently had we had any type of semblance of success at the division one level. Um, and so when we're going up against maybe some more traditional powers and it's a head to head match, it always felt like. Hey, well, so and so has already been here. Colorado has already been here. We're going to give them the nod. So I, that's tre- uh, tremendous news to hear that, that they're coming out with that. So um, that being said, I want to talk a little bit about. We've had a lot of inside people with UVU talk about the program. Uh, I'm interested, and our listeners are interested in in what's the outside perspective. And, and you live here in Utah, so you're closer to the program. Um, than, than some, but what, what's the outside perspective of, of UVU? Yeah, I I think it, I think it's probably tough for me to give like a fully, um, objective uh, view of UVU. You know, I look at, I look at the roster and a lot of these kids are, are kids that I've coached. And for the past several years, there's been just tons of great kids that I've had a chance to know through my time coaching. You know, you look at uh, Max Sturgill when he was mm-hmm. in seventh grade, he went to Vail with us uh, on the Jolly Roger team. And so these, these are kids that I've been, have been following, watching and cheering for, for a long time. So it's tough to be like completely objective when it comes to judging UVU. Um, sure. But I, but I can say like, uh, stepping back a little bit and just saying, okay, where are they at in the landscape? Uh, y- you know, there's kind of tiers of teams in the MCLA. You get the teams that that really take it seriously. Uh, and then you have like the teams that are like kind of trying to take it seriously. Um, and, and they, they kind of go up and down and, and maybe they don't have the consistency of being like, yeah, this is, this is a consistent program over time. Uh, and then you have the, the kind of like that other tier of people who's like, they don't care. Like they want this to be fun. Like if it's, if it's, anything serious is like almost mocked by some of these teams. Like, Oh, you're taking this so seriously for club ball. It's like, okay, well, um, you know, not to go on a tangent, but at some point maybe it makes sense to split the leagues based on, on that level of commitment. But uh, stepping back to, to what you're talking about, it's like, so UVU seems to me like if you're looking from the outside, they're in the transition from a tier two to a tier three uh, or tier two to tier one, meaning they have been a team that has, has kind of like, at times ebbed and flowed between like, Hey, this is a, this is a serious program and people are taking it seriously. Uh, you know, you look at even in like 2000, what was it? 2006, 2007, when they're competing for D2 national championship pretty consistently. And then the program almost went away, you know, then there was like nothing. And now it's kind of come back and resurged and it's been at the D1 level. And I think everybody's kind of looking, if I'm being honest, everybody's kind of looking to see, can they, can they hold the momentum from the last year, the last two years? Um, 
I think there's people that don't really believe that. And I think that's probably reflected in the seeding that UVU got. I think if you look at the tournament last year, if you want to like point to the the blue the blue bloods getting a little bit of the nods compared to the new people, I think UVU seeding reflects that. You know, it was sure, a, absolutely. A 14 and two, 14 and two heading into the tournament or something like that. And I think it ended up as like an eight seed. Uh, as a conference champion as well. Yeah. yeah like yeah, RMLC conference champion, eight seed heading into the tournament. It's like, uh, well, okay. Like I don't love it and I don't know why. So whatever. Um, but the point is like, I don't think they're, they're viewed as that tier one yet. And if you look at the hallmarks though, of what tier one success looks like, um, a lot of times it comes with consistency at the head coaching position, which UVU has had, uh, or consistency at the assistant coaches position, which UVU is trying to build, but now they're coming into this year, having lost coach Maxfield, who like, having talked to him personally many times, I have tons of respect for him. Like he was sure, a great absolutely. coach. So I think there's a big question mark of, well, what does UVU look like past that? Can the culture and can the progress they've made be sustained uh, coming out of that transition from a really important head coach? But I, I, the perception is definitely changing. Like if you look at the MCLA um, Twitter, for example, the national championship Twitter, I think it's run by Matt Holman out of California. Uh, if maybe still, but um he, he put a poll up some, one of them put a poll up the last two weeks. I can't remember when, when it was, but it said, who's, who's your top, who's, who's your number one team coming into the country and, uh, or number one team coming into the, the 2023 season. And UVU's on that poll. Like that's something that three years ago would have been unheard of to think that UVU would be even in consideration for, are they the number one team coming into a season? So a lot of that is they're returning a ton of talent. They, they made a lot of statements last year. Um, I think you can see that like, any honest observer of UVU would be like, okay, there's still a gap that they've got to close between, you know, I watched that Georgia Tech uh, game last spring as well as the Virginia Tech game. It's like, okay, there's another level that we have to get to, but we're making strides to get to that right level. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of coaching, uh, you you think like, I, I'm a big fan of Jake Arvin. Like, I'm, I'm pumped to see what Jake can do. I coached Jake um, – for, for several years. And like the thing that always stood out to me about Jake was like, he was so smart that he could pick up anything we're doing like so fast. Like Jake came into the, the BYU program as an attackman that it was, was just a stud attackman at Alta. And we said, uh, you know, within his first year, Hey Jake, you're going to play D midi. Uh, and within Six months, he was probably one of the top five DMITs in the country, um, having come from attack. And he figured it out. He learned learned how to play right, learned how to quickly adapt to it. And it wasn't just that he was athletic, because he is. He's a freak. He was uh, just awesome at everything he did. But he learned to think like a def- defensive MIDI really quickly. Uh, and then, you know, he went back and played offensive MIDI, and he's an All-American. And, like, he's just a stud. He, he gets the game end-to-end. And I think people like that make great coaches. So uh, I'm really excited about that. And I think the culture carries over from the head coach, which is what Brian brings and so i'm optimistic that that uvu can build off of it and i'm certainly rooting for all these these great people you know marty's one of my my best friends i've met through lacrosse uh just tons of people to root for for uvu um but the question is can you sustain it like that's going to be the question for the whole year can you sustain the momentum that's been coming the past three years Absolutely. And, and can you handle expectations? I think is one of those things too, because, uh, from the inside looking out, we've spent, you know, five years, six years trying to build a a foundation that when we get these new freshmen coming in, I mean, we've got some freshmen coming in that are like high school, all American 
freshmen like that that could go on and play somewhere else and they ended up at UVU because either that's where they wanted to go to school or for whatever reason they end up here and it's okay do we have the foundation to take these players and then continue to build a four-year program it's something I've talked about on previous episodes of you know back at uh in BYU's days you know and I don't I don't know what era to call the heyday of BYU I would consider it you know the 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 run that you were a part of and just beyond uh as kind of the heyday of BYU lacrosse and um you, you look at that and it was it was a power program i mean you go back and you can watch from 07 you know national broadcasts that are very professional and everything you know from top to bottom and i had buddies that played at BYU and it's a four year program and it, it has been for three four decades right like it seems that way and that's something at UVU that we're we're still establishing is hey can we get guys to stay four years and develop as players and to be a part of uh, of something larger that's consistent and so i think that's a very fair and accurate statement to say like hey you had one year and that's something we talked about in our team meeting uh last week was hey we're you know we've got we've got expectations to fill now big shoes to fill coming off a successful season like that and we've got to prove that that we belong in that tier one um uh, set of teams and so i I think that's a completely fair and accurate um assessment of of uvu um to be honest yeah, and if you if you look at BYU's success, um, you you need to go back, you know, almost thirty years at this point to what Jason Lamb did starting in '97, uh, because by the time that I got to BYU, the culture was like set. Now there's always little team culture things that shifted here and there, but like you walked into it and it felt big time. Like I remember my first impression of BYU feeling big time. I was uh, playing fall lacrosse in Denver. Uh, and after I'd finished a game wrapped up, uh, there were two coaches and my, my coach came over and said, Hey, these two college coaches would like to talk to you. And one of them was Mason Goodhand. Uh, one of them was Jason. Uh, and Mason's pitch was, was interesting. I like Mason. I think Mason's a good guy. Um, but the pitch he gave me at the time was for the university of Utah. And it was kind of like, Hey, if you want to come and keep playing lacrosse and like snowboard and really enjoy like the, the life around college, then you should come check out Utah. And then I talked to Jason right after that and he's like, listen, we're building something here. Like we're, we're working toward greatness. He's like, and if you want to come and work your butt off and you want to be part of this program, we'd love to have you. And for me, that was like, Oh, like that's what I want to be a part of. And then, you know, I get a call from him a couple of weeks after BYU summer camp. And he's like, Hey, this is, this is coach lamb. Like we want you to come play. And I'm like in cloud nine. Cause I'm like this, this, you know, this young high school junior. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And then I go out to watch BYU play CSU and it's like a big time atmosphere. And I'm like, this is awesome. So when I stepped into BYU, there was no debating what I was stepping into. It wasn't like, well, is this going to be a club? Is this going to be something else? It's like, no, everything I had, had heard and seen leading up to it was like, this was this was a serious program where we took things seriously. Uh, and so there was no questioning that when I came in as a freshman and that culture carried over for a really long time. Uh, and even still, like the, that culture still helps BYU uh, be as good as they are today. Like they're still a team that has had a lot of sustained success sure. at the MCLA level. And so you look at, at UVU as kind of starting to build that. Um, then you're laying those blocks to where there is no, there's no debate of what the culture is when you show up as a freshman and there's no thought that you can change it. That's where you really start to wit, really start to win is when individual players aren't saying, eh, well, look like, these guys are all taking it ser- a little too seriously. Let's have some fun. Like everybody needs to lighten up. It's club. Like when that leaves the program for good and it's never kind of welcome back, that's when you become a serious program. And it's hard. Like if even programs that have had that in the past 
don't have it now. You like you look at CSU, for example, uh, that left with Alex Smith at CSU. They're a different team, and that exited. Um, BYU's been lucky enough to carry that through multiple head coaches, but that's that culture is is tough to maintain, and it's a constant effort to do it. And so I think half the battle is being conscious of that. And I think you view everything I've talked to Marty about, I've talked to Brian about this, I've talked to players, everything I've heard is that that is what they acknowledge that that's the challenge. That is the the barrier to long-term success is that culture and everybody's aware of it, which will make it great because then you you address that problem. Yeah. And that that's something we fought over. Uh, so I'm going in my sixth year at UVU and that, that's been the battle for most of it. We've had really good players at UVU, but we haven't had enough of the players that buy into it that say, hey, I'm here. I'm going to take care of my body. I'm going to take care of my grades. I'm going to take care of my nutrition. I'm going to show up every day at practice and I'm going to get better at lacrosse. And I've got coaches that can make me better at lacrosse. And so this last year, these last couple of years, really, uh, the, the incoming freshmen don't know any different. Like uh, we've got a couple of, of like, uh, with COVID, it's hard to know everyone's true eligibility, right? Uh, without glancing at it. But we've had guys that are going on their second or third year here. Um, with the upcoming season that don't know anything different than showing up and working really hard. Like uh, you, you show up on time. We have film sessions. You need to know your assignments. You need to know exactly what's going on. And, and if you don't know that you're exposed really fast because you're, you're going to mess it up and we're going to stop practice and you're going to know about it, not in a negative way, but you're going to be held accountable. Like, Hey, you should be, know, you should know this stuff by now. We're in years past. Like when, so I played here at UVU, right after it made the transition from D2 to D1. Um, and, and it was that way. Like you could just show up and it was like 20 dudes practicing and we threw the ball around a little bit. We had like one or two little things that we would do, but there was no set culture, no set structure. It was just, hey, we happen to go to UVU and we're going to play lacrosse. And I remember, I mentioned this in previous podcasts, like I played at Jordan High back when Jordan High was really good. Um, and I remember being like, my high school practices were harder than this. And that's not how it should be. And I feel like that's changed now here at UVU where, where we have a ton of accountability towards these guys now. And, and you can't show up. Like we, we just, we let you go if you're not ready to buy into the fact that like, this is serious and we're going to take it serious. This isn't a club. If you want club, there's other programs in the state that you can go to and that's fine, uh, but not here at UVU, not anymore. So um, yeah. And, and that's, that's really the challenge of like MCLA programs in general. So if we, if we zoomed out a little bit and we step back from UVU, one of the challenges is you, you have a bunch of kids that are paying to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of places where you think that pain means that you get a say like, Hey, we're, we're, we're the ones paying. Don't push us. Like we're the ones that are paying for this. We're going to tell you what to do as a coaching staff. And we, that dynamic that. always fails. That, that dynamic always fails. Yeah, And, absolutely. and like, if you want to be a successful, consistent MCLA program, you have to kill that dynamic somehow. And I think there are some organizations that don't want it dead. Like there, there are schools that are like, nope, this is a student sport. We're going to be student run. A coach can be there to be a chaperone, but that's it. Um, and you you have to kill that mentality. Uh, what's funny is like like I, I played at BYU and they were still paying dues. And I know UVU mm-hmm. still pays dues. And there's like there's kind of like some, some nice movement on that from BYU that – maybe UVU doesn't see. But what was kind of cool about paying dues was like we were we were so committed to the process that it was like 
We, I'm willing to pay $2,000 to get run into the ground uh, five days a week. That I was gonna, I was gonna pay this money for my team dues so that I could get forced to go lift, uh, you know, and have Justin McClure at BYU just destroy us in the weight room and leave just feeling exhausted. Because ultimately, that was that was what made the memories and that's what made the friendships. Like if I look at my life past BYU lacrosse. That was the best money I spent in college was paying my team dues to be a part of that because uh, one of my co-founders in my current business was a teammate at BYU. Uh, most of my friends that I see, uh, you know, weekly if not that I talk to daily, they're guys that I met when I was playing club lacrosse. I play hockey with my club lacrosse friends, and like it's such an integral part of my life. And it's like my my education part of it's great, but I mean, if we're being honest, my communication uh, studies didn't really do much for my for my current company, but I'm glad I did it. Like, I'm not mad about it, but the best money I spent at college was paying my dues. And it was because I didn't pay dues to go dink around at practice for several hours. I paid dues to be a part of something bigger than myself and work my butt off. And at the end of it, look back and be like, I'm really proud of what we built. Like when, when I, when 2007 wrapped up and we had destroyed Oregon in the championship, I took a step back and looked at that. And I was like, I'm really proud of how hard we worked to get here. We weren't given this like the year before we were awful and we worked our butts off to get to the quarterfinal or to the semifinals in 2006. But that work ethic carried over to 2007 when we won. And I was proud. Like I was proud of us and it was worth every dime. But that dynamic is not like automatic. Like, and like I said, I didn't create it at BYU. Uh, it was there for me. Like when I stepped into it and the, the freshmen that are coming into UVU right now, they're not the ones who created that dynamic. They're standing on the shoulders of other people who paid the dues to say like, Hey, we're, we're fighting through this battle to make this transition from, you know, truly a club mentality to, to what we call it virtually varsity, where it's like in, in everything we do, we're trying to act like a varsity program would. Um, and I think that's an awesome thing. I think it's an, a thing you can be proud of. And it 100% is something that's worth paying dues for because you're just learning so many awesome life lessons and, and making connections that don't happen when you're truly club. Yeah. And I, and it's, it, I, we talk about that in our team meeting, uh, all the time of the, Hey, like, uh, these, uh, the memory, the people that you meet are going to last beyond just what you get here out of, you know, nine months of the year. Um, and, and last year we really saw that really come to fruition. That team last year for UVU was really, really close. Uh, those guys spent not just practice together. They would go and spend a lot of their off time together as well. And they still do. They still are all with each other. They're golfing, they're working together. They're getting, uh, you know, a lot of them now live together and where in years past it was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I think that guy was on my team. Like it, 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 that dynamic changes. And I like what you said that the best money you spent in college was your, your club dues for, for BYU, right? Like it's, it's something that I think the mentality uh, shifts when, like you said, once you weed out the guys that are like, Hey, I pay. So I'm the boss versus, Hey, I pay so that you can make me a better person. You can make me a better man and a better lacrosse player. And the experience for everybody involved is going to be way better because that's the mentality we all have walking into it. And we, we definitely have that at, at UV. Like we don't have freshmen that come in and think differently. And we we're we're probably three years deep into that now. So most of the guys, if not all the guys on the team feel that exact same way of like, Hey, we're here. We're here to get things done. Like we're not here. We're not here to just hang out. We're not here to have a good time. We're not here to travel. We had some of our alumni on and they even admitted like, 
our first year here, that's how it was. It was like, Hey, we're just here to go on some fun trips and play lacrosse in the meantime, like, and you know, for a couple hours when we're on the road. So, uh, that's another thing that I think makes a, an MCLA school successful is the support of the school. And you had mentioned it, the BYU gets quite a bit of support and, um, to help make it successful. And there's some other schools in the state where it, it's not that way. Um, what are your thoughts on, and I'm going to, I just shifted gears a little bit here, the, the state of, of the RMLC overall, because the RMLC is one of the traditionally, it's a, the traditional powerhouse of the MCLA. I think it's 12 national championships. Uh, I think 11 official 12 claimed. I think BYU claims their 2021 tournament invitation as a national championship, but I don't think the MCLA recognizes it as such. Um Talk to me a little bit about what your your state your thoughts are on where the RMLC is in the national landscape. Yeah, and and you see you see some of like the the micro dynamics of like the MCLA in the RMLC like very clear. Uh, you talk about that different levels of school support. That's what that's what brought you CSU down. Like that's what brought them down level was a school saying, "Hey, we're backing off. Like this isn't this isn't something that we're going to lean into, and we're not going to support this at the level that we did, you know, under Flip and under Alex. And and they they've really struggled. They've they've struggled since then to to find that consistency, to find a coach that can come in there and replicate the success. Now that also like in reality, all the RMLC teams like 10, 15 years ago benefited from being in hotbeds including BYU, benefited from being in hotbeds that were under-recruited, meaning there were tons of good players like uh, coming out of Colorado that should have been playing on D1, D2, D3 rosters, but the area was under-recruited. And so some of these great teams in the past from like 97, even to like up until like even 2011, 2012, a lot of these teams were filled with people that maybe nowadays, like they would be getting recruited, uh, that they would be getting pulled to D1 programs. And so there's there's part of that dynamic, there's part of the school dynamic, um, but I think the the recruiting dynamic is honestly probably the bigger one um, in that all of these, you look at Mark Plonke, you look at some of these CU players, uh, Justin Anderson, uh, these, these guys that were legends at these schools, if they came out of high school today, they would have D1 offers in their hands uh, where they didn't 10 years ago. You know, uh, on my team in high school at Arapahoe, we had some amazing players. Most of those amazing players went on to play club. Uh, one of them went to Ohio State. Um, it's like one player got recruited to a D1 level. I think one walked on at Colgate as well. But now you're looking there, they're putting out D1 players regularly. So that dynamic is 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 tough for the RMLC because they they kind of rode high on say, hey, we're we're in a hotbed and we're under recruited. So we've got just amazing talent. Now all all of the schools here do get a little bit of the boomerang effect where you have some kids that go out and they chase the NCAA name to go play lacrosse. And so you go out to like Hendricks College or some no, no offense to Hendricks. I don't know much about Hendricks. But some no name D3 college and you're paying forty thousand dollars a year so that you can say you played NCAA lacrosse. Big whoop, who cares? Uh, and it comes to find out it's like, well, the school's in the middle of nowhere and it's a liberal arts school that doesn't have the degree that I want. And so they boomerang back and they end up at CU, CSU, BYU, UVU, some of these kids. I'm sure you guys have had some of these. Mm-hmm. Um and uh it's not to say there's anything wrong with playing NCAA ball, but if you do it for the wrong reasons, you're going to end up back. And so you see that CU's roster is filled with a lot of those kids. Historically, that's been something they've taken advantage of is getting those kids who've gone out and played somewhere else and come back. Um, but CU has really struggled since the coaching turnover. Um, yeah, when big time. Galvin, who's probably one of the best to ever do it in the MCLA, uh, when he stepped away, they've really struggled. And so they, they had a, a – 
new head coach the past two years, uh, going into another new head coach this year. Um, so they're kind of like right back in that tier two of like, Hey, can we build consistency in our program? Because so much of it left with Galvin. So it wasn't able to be sustained moving forward to say, okay, now that we don't have one of the best coaches in MCLA history, how do we like, how do we have a succession here? CU hasn't solved that yet. They could, they still have tons of talent. They can, they can put it together, but they haven't yet. Um, CU, same thing. They, they, man, they're close. They're close, but they're not top 15 team right now. Um, and they haven't proven that they can keep that consistency up. So a lot of those are TBD, meaning the RMLC in general is not what it was 10, 15 years ago where it's like, okay, well we can guarantee three RMLC teams are going to the tournament every single year. Uh, it's just a matter of who, and it doesn't like, you know, our, the RMLC didn't have an AQ for several years. Like who cares? It's like whoever wins the RMLC is going to the tournament anyway. It's the, the AQ doesn't matter. Um, but things are changing a little bit. And so now you have a place where it's like, well, hey, maybe that AQ actually might matter now. Um, and we need to figure out how to build a sustainable league because I'm not sure that four is a sustainable league. Like CU, CU, CSU, UVU, BYU for several years, that was the entire league. Well, now the MCLA has made some changes and they're saying, hey, we're going to allow teams to have varsity programs, um, to have MCLA teams. Uh so that's added some potential depth there for the RMLC, like that may not have been there before. Um, you have Utah who came back in to give you the fifth team. Now you've got Utah Tech down uh, down south. Uh, they're jumping up into the D1 level. We'll see. Like I think Utah Tech is – like I love Casey Rich, who just was named one of their assistant coaches, one of the smartest minds I, I know. But, again, it's not just about great coaches. Like if you look at teams across the MCLA that have had great coaches, there have been some amazing ones that you probably don't even realize coaching the MCLA. Tons of MLL and professional players that have taken on these teams – and then they're gone in a year or two and they leave nothing more than some really well-coached players for a couple of years. They don't leave a program behind. So I think Utah Tech's firmly in the TBD. So what happens if, if they decide, hey, we had a rough go of it in D1, we're, gonna, we're going down to D2. Well, one of the weird dynamics of the MCLA is there's no criteria for who plays in what division. Um, and I Utah think that State, needs to change. Like, I, I'm glad you got oh, in here because well, this is where I was going to go next. Don't say it on Twitter. <laughs> They'll get very mad at you. Yeah. Um, they, they, that has been a topic of contention for virtually varsity. Like one of those things that we've agitated to say, can we just get some definition around who should play MCLA D2 or who should play MCLA D1? And I'd be totally fine saying, Hey, MCLA D1 is the premier league. You opt into it and it comes with some more responsibilities and not to go out totally off on a tangent here. But if you look at the ACHA, which is the college club hockey model, that's essentially how they're doing this. Like they divide this based on like, Hey, we're committing this amount of resources to it. Uh, there's even things like at the top level of the ACHA, you're committing to your players come to game day in like a suit and tie. Um, you're committing to like certain things that are saying we're taking this very seriously. And if you don't want to, that's okay, but there's a different league for you. Um, so there's a lot of different ways the MCLA could divide this. But the problem with that is it means that the potentially if the, the if you're a team that's just getting smoked in D1, why would you not go to D2? Like I, I, I kind of give Utah State a hard time sometimes, but like, why would they not hang out in D2? They get all sure. Americans. They they make the tournament. They get, they make the national tournament. They do all these things that that you they would never do in D1. So if they're not told to play Division One, why would you not go down there? Now that's kind of sucks for like the Fort Lewis's of the world who's like, well, where do I go now that Utah State has come down and is is killing us? But it's a weird dynamic with the leagues. I, I see. I, I, so I don't know if you heard Utah state is not going to play any division one teams this year. They're backing off their division one, but I'm of the opinion of like, look, you, like you talked about earlier, like Utah, Colorado, 
uh, even Idaho now, they've got enough lacrosse players and enough good lacrosse players that you can fill a decent D1 roster. And I get that there's more than there's more than go that goes into being successful at Division One level. And I, we've seen it at UVU how how much it's taken to, to get us to a successful point, and then maintaining it is a whole nother level of of um, uh, difficulty that you have to face. But I, I look at like it kills me. I'm sorry. I like. That's a school that's got enough lacrosse players on campus. They they filled a good enough team every year that that you they should be Division One. And I get that they're going to get smacked, but like the only way to get better is to 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 pl- play better competition. Some of the guys I know that go to Utah, like Corner Canyon's had a couple of kids that go to Utah State that have played at Corner Canyon and have chosen not to play at Utah State because they know Utah State doesn't take it seriously enough. They don't want to be under that umbrella of the club feel. And, and I don't think Utah State takes it quite to that club feel level, but, but they don't take it too serious either. They're kind of that, like you said, they're in that, they're, they're in that gray zone, but I, I'm of the opinion, like the RMLC, like if you have a school over 15 or 20,000 enrollment, you're a division one team and, and you may be a bad division one team for a couple of years, but you should have enough kids on campus that play lacrosse that, that if you can get your act together, uh, and maybe I'm being a little harsh, making it sound like they don't try, uh, or they aren't working towards something like that, but I think there can be some real changes made between the division one and division two levels, even at the RMLC level uh, of forcing some schools to come up or adding some schools from the, the PNLC um, because our PNCLL. Um, you got it. And uh, I don't know. I, I think there's a couple of things they can do because there's some really weak conferences out there and they're holding on to these AQs and they're getting to the tournament and just getting smashed. And I, it's, it's, I don't think it's great for the health of the MCLA overall, in my opinion. So, I, well, what it, well, I will say, so in, in defense of the AQ, I actually have changed my tune over time on this because uh, for, for a long time, I was like, get the AQs out of these these schools that don't deserve it. Like there's a, there's more deserving schools that are missing it. But at the end of the day, the nice thing about the AQ is it like regardless where you are in, in your development cycle, you have a shot at the tournament. Meaning that if sure. you look across the, you look across and you're saying, Hey, I've got to be, I've got to be in the top 16 of the league. Uh, I don't know if I'm an LSA program that there's any realistic hope for me to get there. Um, but could I win my league? Maybe. And I think that carrot's important. And I actually think that that's, what's missing in the MCLA is what's the carrot to play D1. Like, so maybe, maybe it is a stick that we need to say, listen, the MCLA D1 is anybody with over 15,000 enrollment. Um, that is potentially one way you could do it. It doesn't, doesn't really factor into support and like, you know, budget and some of those other things that potentially get brought up, uh, which is honestly why I think the ACHA is a better model for it because it's more about like what you're willing to commit to, not necessarily like how your school profiles. Um, But the, but one of the things that the ACHA does awesome that I wish the MCLA would do uh, and people don't like hearing this. So uh, let's hope it's only UVU fans listening tonight. Um, But uh, they don't like hearing that the, the one of the things I would love to see is put more resources towards D1. Make the D1 tournament the premier tournament every year. Quit switching day and night games between them. Like let's, let's put that. our resources towards our premier programs and then say, hey, if you want this premier experience, there's a reason for you to try to get to the highest level. Uh, because honestly, like as much as like we, we talk a little bit about Utah State, they're not the only school that's done this. They, they sat no. in D2 and it's not their fault. It's the MCLAs. Like they have put their program in a position that can grow probably better than it could getting killed in the in the division one um i'm totally fine with that and i understand that that dynamic exists in club to say listen if you were to pop like let's say new mexico comes on board and you're like new mexico welcome back you have to play d1 uh and it's like cool we've got six games on our schedule every year that we're going to lose by 30 i don't know that that's great for a program either but 
then then let's not pretend that the, the, the leagues are equal. Let's not pretend that D2 and D1 are these interchangeable leagues where it's like, well, hey, you know, NCAA D1s for our big schools and our, our sorry, MCLA D1s for our big schools, MCLA D2s for our little schools. Like let's 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 cut the charade and just say this is our premier league. This is this is where our best teams play in division 1. We're going to treat it like our premier league. Um and you know, you look at how the NCAA treats it, it's like, well, the D2 and D3 Aren't aren't swapping equal billing with NCAA D one, uh, and, and like I would like to see that dynamic shift a little bit to say let's lean into our best programs as our best programs and make them the highlights of what we do instead of continually trying to pretend that these leagues are equal. Yeah, and I I I, I would get behind that one hundred percent because it's hard for me to like I look at you know some of these other pro or other uh, conferences that have you know nine built in home or not home games, but nine built in games just due to their, their conference affiliation. And you look at the SLC, uh, SLC, SELC, um, and now the ALC, um, uh, these conferences are, I mean, the SELC and the ALC split because there was too much, uh, and, and this isn't the only reason they split, but there were well, too many good huge. teams. Yeah. And they were they, massive, and they were right? a huge conference, but I don't, and maybe it's because I don't pay close enough attention to those other leagues, but you don't see some of these bottom tier, uh, you know, ALC schools, uh, dropping down to division two because they can't compete at division one level. I'm sure it happens. Yeah, it, it does happen. It does happen. Okay. So it, it does happen because it, it just yeah, feels like, like look, at, look at Baylor, for example, Baylor is, is one that I think they're coming back up to D one this year. I think I just saw, but they're a program that went down to D2 kind of like rehabbed and, and developed. And now they're coming back up to D1. I actually don't hate that model. I just don't like that. We pretend that they're equal. Um, like I think that it's good for there to be a place for schools to develop, uh, understanding that it's not like an NCAA sport where it's like, Hey, if you're division one, that means that you have X number of resources available at your behest. Like that's not what it means in id MCLA. So I'm actually totally great with opting in and out. Uh, but let's give criteria to it. And then let's, let's make it so that there's incentive to be in D one. Let's give, for example, let's give less All-Americans to D2. Let's change how the tournament, like maybe we cut the tournament down to eight teams. Now, I don't know people about this. Like these are radical ideas that will get me uh, hung out on Twitter. But 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 the idea is like saying, look, this is the Premier League and there should be incentive to get to it. Uh, and if we don't create that incentive, then why would Utah State ever leave? Right. Well, and I, I look at, so um, and jumping back just a little bit to the RMLC, like I feel like the RMLC is falling behind some other leagues, not, not only competitively from top to bottom, but marketing wise as well. Like these other leagues are putting out like preseason, um, rosters. They're putting out these different honors. They have a weekly, um, you know, newsletter that they put out about the league itself to try and promote these leagues and, and have these, the tier one, you know, the, the Georgia techs, the Virginia techs, the liberties, all these other schools that are a part of their program. They're trying to promote them. And, and I tried a little bit to, to do that, uh, with the RMLC a, two years ago and, and it was a monumental task. So I get it. Like I trying to get information. I would, I'd shoot emails out to coaches of like, Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give your players a, a spotlight. I'm trying to get us some, some headlines out there so that the RMLC isn't forgotten. And, and people just don't look at scores that they can go look at an article and see exactly how maybe a game went down or see certain players put up a, a, more points or whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, I just feel like the RMLC is falling behind in, in those aspects as well. And I don't know how to fix that per se. Like, I don't know if it's just because we've got some entrenched people running it. I don't know if, if it's just, there's not enough volunteers that are willing to help out with that. But I, I feel like the, and I, I'm, I'm talking in circles here a little bit because my mind's going a million miles an hour, but 
How, what would you no, change right, about the right. RMLC? Like, and like, there's there's a, there's a little bit that's that, that's a little bit on the RMLC leadership. Like there's there's part of that. Like when you look across at what the SELC does with their Twitter accounts and their their live streams at the events and stuff. Like if, if we call it for what it was, the RMLC tournament that like the live streams have been like for the tournament have been amateur, at yeah, best, absolutely. amateur best until this year when the CSU and the group that did it this year, they did an amazing job. That was great. Um, and I, I was super pleased to see that. And so maybe that's something that we can change, but it's like, okay, so when you come back to Utah, now you got to go get Cladis and the prodigy team to produce who does the MCLA national championships. He does a great job. Why are we not engaging them to do that every time? So that that production level that we had at CSU this past year is what we consistently get. Um, you know, where, where are game recaps? Like, and, and again, g- going back to this, what, what should be the expectation of D1? One of the things I would love to have on there is like submit game recaps. Like yeah, let's, absolutely. let's have like, there used to be articles that would come out and uh, you know, uh, not, not to go back to it uh, into my history, but like I, I'm, I'm in marketing now. Like my, my business is, is, is around marketing, but the first place I got that was I wrote game stories for BYU uh, and I promoted them on social media and I loved it. And I went and like, it was so easy. I would go online and I'd find Duke's game recap and I would go read it and then I would rewrite Duke's game recap, but change everything that happened at Duke to everything that happened in our game. And it was awesome. And I get quotes from Jason Lamb. And sometimes he'd be mean right to my face and he'd blame the assistant coaches in the articles, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> hey, and, I love that. It's uh, accountability. He was, he was very honest. Um, but, uh, but, but the point is like, that's, th- those are, those are low hurdles to climb and they, they change a lot in perception. Um, uh, absolutely. But, and- yeah. And so, so like RMLC, RMLC could do that. RMLC could do that. But there's things like, okay, well, hey, our tournament budget might be pretty low because we have four te- or five teams in D1. So it's not a lot of team dues flowing into it. Um, so that's potentially a place where it's like, hey, we could buy another PNCLL or we look to expand or something like that. Now all of a sudden our pot's a little bit bigger and we can do some cool stuff with our money. Um, that would potentially be something there. But honestly, I don't think that solves some of the other issues that we're talking about, which is kind of around leadership needing to, to get on their horse and say, okay, here's, here's what we want to see changed. Uh, and you can, you can make that change happen even with the resources the RMLC has right now. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I've done at you or tried to do at UVU is, is, is write those articles. I, I, same thing. Like I've written a couple of different articles for UVU, but I, I want the RMLC and I tried with the RMLC, but it was just, I was getting no feedback from coaches. I'd email them. And the funny thing was, is then I'd get a random email from a coach that's like, Hey, you didn't mention anything in here. You should do that next time. And I, and I wrote him back and I said, I would love to do that, but you've got to give me the information to do so, you know, and then I didn't hear from him again. So, you know, I know there's people Also, write your own articles if you don't like it. Exactly. Right. Like, like uh, it, it, it's something that's not that hard to do. And and there's enough people that are passionate about the game within the RMLC that, that this should be getting done. And I, and I know I'm picking on the RMLC on, on, and something like small, like an article. It's kind of close to it, right? We're we're very familiar with it. Exactly. Dynamics exist in every conference. And, and so, and I, uh, to your point, like, I think the RMLC should expand. I think there's a couple of teams that they should bring in that most teams in the RMLC are already playing. And I know the reason, some of the reason that hasn't happened is because the Colorado schools are like, we don't want to go any further West than, than we have to for a conference yeah, game. Where are they going to go East back to Texas? That yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're, that worked out awesome. Yeah. The, by the way, those two ads made no sense to me. I know it was trying to get an AQ so that we could keep the AQ is my understanding of why we added it. But I mean, it made no sense to, to have that. Um, 
So what I think, I think they should go out and get Boise State to come down. And I think they should make Montana State, not make, but invite Montana State to be division one. And then you've got, you know, now we're going to go from six to eight schools. And I, you know, you get enough, you could do, uh, you know, divisions. And, and then you're playing the top three teams can come into uh, the RMLC championship game. Um, you can do a zipper, you know, where the you know one seed plays a three seed from the other division, and you hold it in a really good location and, and make a make something out of it. I just don't, I just don't feel like there, and and I, and I know I'm going to rub somebody the wrong way, but I just don't feel like there's a lot of effort going on in some of these things. And and again, I don't know the behind the scenes that maybe these people have really busy lives, and I'm sure that that's it. But man, it feels like there's a lot more that can be done to to really. Like you said, take take these uh, premier club teams or MCLA teams and just make it a, a little bit better, right? And give it a little bit more oomph to it, and and, and give that that feel to those players. Because um, I think those players love love reading and hearing those things too. They put in just as much work. Yeah. So let me let me tell you, like, and granted, not every not every parent is like my mom, but I have a scrapbook of all the articles that were written when I played at BYU because we were luckily enough to have a press intern after every game, and so my mom has this this like I she left me with a scrapbook that has every game recap that from when I played at BYU has Deseret news articles that were written at the time. And like, for me, it's really cool. Like it's cool now to be able to pass that on to my kids and be like, Hey, this is cool. And they can browse through like, Oh, look, there's dad. And like all this stuff. And you know, we've got a a YouTube film archive where we've taken it really seriously to say, Hey, we want to get as many BYU games as we possibly can up on, uh, in in an accessible way for these people, because these are, these are cool memories that are made. And I had a, a player, that I played against. His name was Nick Stanitz Harper. He's a, he's a stud for CU, CSU. Uh, and he sent us a message on YouTube and was like, hey, thank you for putting these games up. I didn't have any of these. And I just watched one of the games I played in with my kids. Uh, and nobody's thinking that far ahead when you're when you're playing lacrosse. You know, you're 21, 21 years old playing lacrosse at UVU. But there's a, there's going to come a time when like the stories of what you did and, and the, the, the memories that you made at UVU, you're going to want to share those. And Finding ways to, to do that is cool. And so that's an ancillary benefit to all that, but I still think it's a really cool part of the experience that is something that, that should be taken more seriously. Yeah, I agree. And and, and I, I went off on, a like I said, a, a weird tangent here. I, I don't think that that necessarily affects the play on the field, but but that's something that I'm trying to do. I stepped away from coaching. I wanted to still be involved. Um, and I, one of the reasons I started this podcast, right? Like I thought I'd get maybe five listens. I was just doing it for fun. And and we're having hundreds of listens in on this because people, people want to listen and people have an hour out of their day to go and listen to something that either their sons are involved in. I've gotten parents emailing me that are like, Hey, I love listening to the episodes. I can't wait for the next one to come out. I listen to it on my morning walk with, you know, when I'm out and about and there there's people that are passionate enough that I think these MCLA programs, and I know it's something we're focusing on here at UVU. And I know it's something that BYU's had, at least in the past, I can't speak to the current uh, state of BYU. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there, people that are willing to get involved and and give money uh, to make these things happen and to make the league better and the experience better for the player yeah. and the fans and the parents involved. So I got off well, on a you weird- mentioned You mentioned that connection of, you mentioned the connection with the school. Um, you know, for my, for several of my first jobs and like one of my first jobs I, I landed out of school was um, working as a sales marketing uh, wing for an app development warehouse, but I didn't have anything for my resume, but do you know what I filled my resume up with? Like, Hey, I was, I, I did sports information and I like wrote the press releases for BYU. I did the social media marketing for BYU lacrosse. It's like, I was able to gain some like actual real world experience that I could point to and say, Hey, I did this. 
and help the program immensely. There are so many kids at schools around the country that are looking for that experience, but it does take effort to be able to tap into those to say, okay, well, hey, can I go find somebody that wants to be working in journalism and get them to write our, our articles for us? Can we go find some people that are dying for some broadcast media experience uh, and get those people to come out and help us on our broadcast? You know, you look at, at Colorado a couple of years ago, they had a guy named Joe Paris that did their games. He's an amazing broadcaster. And now he's, he's leveraged what he did at CU He's now a, a news anchor in Boise. He's a, he, excellent career. Um, but he put a ton of time in early to say like, hey, I'm investing in my career by helping out the CU program and getting experience that I couldn't get otherwise. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to get that without just saying, okay, well, hey, coaches that are strapped for time and basically volunteering your time as is to an MCLA program, do more. I think it's just finding people that would already help out and letting them in and giving them the chance to do more. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's something we're we're looking to do here at, at UVU, and I know BYU's had that. I mean, I went back last night and I was watching. You know, I I, I pulled up your games from '07, and I watched the game against uh, Colorado. Actually, right, like that was a big rivalry back in the day, and it it, it still is. But like you said, CU's dropped I off. I didn't like, play great in that game, so I apologize <laughs> about that. But but you know, Marty Westcott was was uh, he's a coach here at UVU now, but he was one of the play by play guys, and he was giving a really good feedback. He's and, good, huh? He was yeah, really he's good. he's really good, and it was funny because. I didn't know it was him at the time. And uh, uh, Marty and I talk on a daily basis and I, and I sent him a text. I was like, Hey, I, I'm listening or I'm watching this, this game from 07. Is that you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and uh, I screenshotted a picture of him because uh, he had hair back yeah, then. He, he and Charlie Friedman, they killed yeah, it. They, they were awesome. Like I thought it was very well done and I know neither of them did that professionally, but like it was good enough that like I was, Hey, I was involved and it was really good to have the information. And I know opposing teams appreciate that. Like you said, Players that play for other teams, when they can come back and watch that stuff, look, uh, we got off on a, a on a tangent that I wasn't necessarily wanting to go on, like some some uh, side benefits to to a really well run MCLA program and, and what that can mean d- years down the road. Um, so I'm going to try and kind of bring it back a little bit. We've already jumped Let's into it, it but w- t- talk to me about like if you could make and you've already mentioned it a few times, like. W- Talk to me about the state of the MCLA as a whole. Where do you think it's at as compared to maybe in the past? And where would you like to see it go here in the future? Yeah, like it, it, the MCLA in general has certainly hit like an inflection point. There's things that were sacred cows, you know, maybe 10 years ago that nobody would have uh, have killed uh, that are now being killed. Like you look at the club programs at uh, schools with varsity programs. Well, ultimately the MCLA needs schools. And if you're having schools that are transitioning out to go D1, D2, especially that D1, D2 level, we haven't lost a ton to D1. You know, you have Utah, you have Michigan, you have Lindenwood, but Lindenwood transitioned up into that anyway. But there's not a ton of schools that are making the jump from MCLA to D1 directly, but there have been tons that are going from either NCAA or MCLA to NAIA programs. Um, like that was like Davenport. Um, or you have teams that are going to NCAA D2 or D3 schools, like schools like Westminster, just up the street from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so losing those schools does create things like there, there's a critical mass that the MCLA needs to be able to fund everything it does at the level it does. Like it, as much as there's a lot of criticism that can be uh, you know, thrown at different places in the MCLA, at the end of the day, this is a pretty well-run league with a really good national tournament uh, and a really good experience for most of the kids. Like we don't have teams showing up in pennies. We don't have, uh, 
we don't have some of the stuff that the NAIA or not the NAIA, excuse me, NCL, the nickel, the NCLL and some of these other schools have where it's like, Hey, this is, we, they, they've lifted it up a level to say, this is, this is more serious. Uh, and that's not a small effort. So I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo that and say like, Hey, this is, this is nothing. I think what they do every year is really great and it is good. Um, but they need to be able to sustain that. And so you saw some of these changes to be, maybe leverage more schools coming in and playing. Uh, and, you know, even even weird things that that are hard for me to even wrap my head around, like Arizona has a D2 team this year and a D1 team. Virginia Tech has a D2 and a D1 team. I think Texas uh, was like Texas A&M had like a one, two, and three. Um, and so like there's just like these changes that are happening. It's like all of a sudden the dynamics are weird in the MCLA because that's this is not what it was originally set up to be, and that's okay. It has to evolve, um, but we also have to like actually evolve with it. And so that's where my kind of like criticisms slash not even criticisms, but more like my uh, what I'd like to see happen is the leadership to embrace that things are changing. And we got to change more than just letting different teams in. Like having a Air Force team and a DU team creates different dynamics. Like you look at some of those kids on the Air Force team last year, they're unbelievable. And um, so are they going to run D2? Like this goes back to the conversation earlier. It's like, where, where's the right spot for these people? What's the right setup of the league for, for everybody um, now? And I think those questions are now more pressing than ever because you're starting to create these weird dynamics across divisions. Uh, so I think that's one of the bigger questions that they need to answer uh, because it does seem like for the sh- in the short term, we're starting to get the teams – like the, the number of teams is, is going to climb a little bit with that change. Uh, and that's a good thing for the MCLA, but that also creates new dynamics that need to be addressed. Um, in terms of other dynamics, like I think I mentioned this earlier about the Colorado schools, but this has affected everybody is like, there's great players are not being under recruited anymore. And that has brought, I like, here's my opinion of the MCLA having, having watched it for a really long time. The top level is down compared to what it has historically been, meaning the top two or three teams, like in the past, those teams were stacked with kids that should be playing, uh, you know, potentially division one ball, uh, something like, like today, they'd be playing division one, two or three. Almost all of these kids would, would have been, uh, they wouldn't have slipped through the cracks. And so that has meant that I don't think the top level is quite as high, but the league in general is a million times better. Like the, the bottom, like it, when when I was playing, if you played the number twenty five ranked team, it was no different than playing the number like sixty five ranked team. Like you were gonna roll them, and the first round of the tournament didn't really matter who you got. If you were in the top half of the bracket, your first round game was gonna be cake. Um, and that's not the case anymore. You look at the teams that are that are making the tournament now, and the teams that even are being left home. These are really good teams. Um, so I think the overall level of the league is significantly up. Like it is a better, more competitive league that is harder to get through unscathed than it was ten years ago. Um, but maybe the top level is a little bit down. Um, but even still, now you look at some of the the teams that are getting these rebound kids. You know. Clemson a couple of years ago, I guess two years ago now at this point. Both Clemson uh, and South a, Carolina. Yeah, Clemson, South Carolina. They had these bevies of D1 transfers that came came and decided to play club lacrosse. And uh, Liberty has some of those this year. They have some high point players that are coming to play, uh, some defenders that they're bringing in. And so they're still getting some of that high-level talent, but just maybe not at the volume that you were before. Um, and so like all of those things are like just creating like an inflection point of like the MCLA in 10 years is going to be dramatically different. And the decisions that they make right now are going to help to shape that. Um, and that's where I think the ACHA is a great model. Um, and I'd love for people to, to really take seriously that. Uh, but that's more than a Twitter account can, can take on to, uh, to get taken care of. 
Well, to your point, uh, and we've talked about this already, so I won't revisit it too much, but so these programs that have Division One, Division Two, and Division Three teams, uh, to me, that that says that okay, your your focus is your Division One team, right? Like you're allowing yourself to have a Division Two and Division Three team to give opportunities to players on your campus that still want to play lacrosse. Um, but it's the same thing, right? Like let's 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 make the Division One bracket or teams uh, for really really competitive uh, teams and, and leave it for programs that really want to take this serious. Let's set some criteria up and let's let's also give an avenue for teams that want to make that that jump and that want to take it serious but understand that like like utah state for instance right like every time they make the jump to division one they just get shellacked and nobody likes doing that for a while um and so they make the jump back down to division two where they're comfortable where they can go and they can win a bunch of division two games and, and claim success there and and i, I was probably like i'm probably being too harsh on them um but yeah, yeah it's just, they're close and we're familiar with them. yeah we're so close and we're familiar with they're them not, they're not the only ones that have that dyna- dynamic exactly yeah and and it, it's frustrating for me too because i, I i'm all about growth like i want to see like i came to uvu because i saw the potential there to have that program grow right like the the way that the school was uh the type of athletes that were in utah like the, like you said right like there's a lot of kids in Utah that get fed the NCAA dream and they get put in schools that I don't feel are good fits for them as individuals, right? Like, um, and I know that some people have some issues recruiting some kids from Utah because Utah families aren't used to the liberal arts school idea of paying yeah. $40,000 of tuition, um, you know, and going out and getting a small school field. We're back East. That's, that's normal. Like, oh yeah, of course there's a hundred schools out here, you know, in one state that, that offer that. So they're used to it. So, um, you know, I just, I, yeah, I would like to see the MCLA and, and these programs, some of these programs maybe f- forced to even grow a little bit, right? Get outside your comfort zone, go out and get these, these kids that want to play, uh, you know, at a competitive environment, in a competitive environment. And I, I think Utah state can do that. I, I, I don't know why I keep picking on Utah state. They're just on my, yeah, <laughs> they must be on my mind, but close. yeah, they're just close. So, but you, same with yeah, Utah and, tech. And, and, you're right. And like what, what, what ultimately the best thing for kids that are playing high school is to do is to find the right fit for them school wise. Sure. And then let lacrosse come second. But the thing is like, you use a really great fit for so many kids, like right off the bat, like it is a really good school. My wife went there. I'm, not, I'm really high on it. And, but there's kids that are looking to have and historically have been, but maybe are less now, but are looking away from UVU because it's like, Oh, well, what about the lacrosse team? It's like, well, a that's, that's short-sighted. Uh, and B now those questions, you know, you kind of check the boxes, but the, finding the right school is the most important thing. Like if I had been recruited today, I would have been way better off going to play for like Southern Virginia for Jason Lamb in a small school than how I did at BYU. Like I struggled at BYU because of the, the class sizes and that was, it was easy for me to get lost. I probably would have done better somewhere like that, but I didn't have anybody telling, you know, telling me to think that way in high school. And now beyond that, now you have these kids that are playing competitive lacrosse. Uh, you could quote unquote competitive lacrosse or playing club lacrosse in high school and their coaches are pushing it. Be like, we got to get, we got to get NCAA offers. Like NCAA is what matters. We want you playing NCAA ball. And it's like, but why? Like to what end is this what you want? Especially if you're getting pushed to a school that's bad for you. Like that's, 
that's a horrible thing for club coaches to do, but they're doing it over and over. Oh yeah. And, and some of them are building platforms off of that. Like they, they want to be able to say, well, we've gotten X amount of kids into an NCAA school. Even some high school coaches are doing that too, because they can technically put that on their resume and say, well, look how many NCAA players I've coached. Look how many guys I've placed, you know, in these programs that are, you know, quote unquote, and, you know, premier because they just carry an NCAA title. And, and we, I mean, at UVU, we get a lot, like you said, we used to get a lot of re, um, um, boomerang kids. Boomerang, boomerang yeah, that would kids. that would come back, and we would just hear horror stories of you know some of these kids that would go to these schools. They they would get pushed out to these small schools and places they didn't know with people they didn't know, but because they were the only one to offer them NCAA uh, lacrosse, they they went there and they come back. And, and, and in some cases, some of these kids were were really shook, shaken up by the experience that they had there because it was not it was a culture shock on top of and and, and not for the reasons you would think. Um, and they come back and. and you know, we were kind of a safe haven for a lot of them there for a, for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, you know, um, I, it's yeah, sad to see that the, the club, the club thing is another thing. Like if you're, if you were to bite off a big issue in lacrosse club lacrosse is a huge one. And it's just, and it, even in Utah, Utah's not alone, but Utah has a lot of dumb club lacrosse that's happening right now. It's, and that, that idea that you said, like, hey, I'm talking about people that I placed in D1 schools and D2 schools. It's like, well, congratulations. The guy played for you for one tournament that you signed him up for for free. And now it's like, we placed him at, a, you know, we placed him at Ohio State. It's like, no, you didn't. A. B, who cares? Uh, it's like it's like if I were to claim, listen, as a lacrosse coach, uh, I get to claim Garrett Bowles of the Denver Broncos because I coached him at BYU Lacrosse Camp and Eric Mika, who plays professional basketball. I coach those guys. Like, their success is because of me. Um, and so if you want to sign up for my club program, we'll, we'll get you in some pro league. I don't know which one, but it's just stupid. Like, and so that's, that's, that's a pet peeve of mine. And like with kids that are coming up that are going to go into that, I don't know how I'm going to fix that, but it's, it's gotta get fixed. It, it's, it's tough too, because it, I don't know if you, uh, I just watched uh, BS high. Um, I don't know if you've watched that or if yeah, you've heard Bishop of it. Sycamore documentary. Bishop Sycamore documentary. And it is, it is scary. Um, I just don't know how that, that, yeah, anyway, I won't get into it too much. It's, it's a good watch. Um, I mean, the guy's just a complete narcissist, right? And and just takes advantage of these guys, these kids. But uh, to some extent, it reminded me of, of club lacrosse, uh, you know, at the high school level where these guys just prey on these kids and feed them like if you're not NCAA, you're nothing. But there's really good opportunity to play uh, competitive lacrosse, get almost a similar experience, if not sometimes better. We've got NCAA transfers come in here to UVU that say this is – 10 times better than anything I had. We had a couple Adam state kids uh, transfer last year and they were like, the, the practices are way more structured. Uh, the, the team dynamics way more structured guys are bought in like just, and they were like, this is way better than my NCAA experience. Now that's not going to be for well, And they weren't in Alamosa. So that yeah, and, yeah, exactly. They weren't in the ma- middle of nowhere, Colorado. So um, yeah, there's a, I, I, I've been to Alamosa. I, I, I met my, I held my first alligator there. That's the only thing to do in town. Is for chomps a lot. Is there are alligators like native and, and to you, there or no? They just have an alligator farm. And it's pretty sweet. Um, okay. But uh, after Sir chomps a lot, I mean, hey, Orm's a, Orm's a better spot to be in school. Yeah, I, I mean, we we can't offer alligators or crocodiles, but we you know we can offer some other cool things. I mean, I, I'm obviously going to plug UVU. I went there and uh, I'm a graduate from there. My history degree doesn't really serve me much in what I currently do, um, but but I love the school and it's grown exponentially since I, even I went there. I mean, I, I was just meeting with the head yeah. of marketing at UVU. Him and I communicate because we're, I mean, the school loves us and also like, except it's for scared. the, yeah. And they're scared of us too, because of uh, we're, yeah. we're out 
were outperforming a lot of their NCAA programs on social media. Not that that's the end all be all, but sure. we have more notoriety than a lot of their NCAA programs in, in some ways. Um, so I was meeting with him. Well, and there's been an irrational fear around club lacrosse in general. Sure. Uh, that I, I don't think I've ever seen come to fruition, um, but there's been the fear that it's like, well, if schools are satisfied with their club team, they're just going to cut their NCAA program teams. And so there's been like this, this, that was something that was really talked about when I was playing. It's like, Hey, like, yeah, so we, we got to be careful because we don't want the, the school to just think clubs are acceptable. Like th- this is, this is fine. I don't think any school acts like that in reality. No, I don't think so either. And in my conversation uh, with, with the, the marketing guy, um, uh, his name's Matt. He's a good dude. And he actually loves us. Like he, he fights for us to get, get what we want. But, um, you know, talking yeah, about look at all that, the good brand recognition that UVU gets for, for free. free. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it costs the them nothing. They have. And, and, and he recognizes that too. Like he comes out and he's like, he actually told us like, Hey, the president of the school watches what you guys do. And not just like, Oh, we have a lacrosse team. Tell me a little bit about it. Like she's invested in what you guys do. And so are a lot of the higher ups at the school. And we actually just got our, um, our status changed at the school this year. And we're going to see if that, that plays in our favor or not. It sounds like it's going to, they're giving us a little bit more stature on school, uh, school grounds. Um, and so we'll see how that, that turns awesome. into, yeah, That's like really it's, cool. um, it could be, we'll see. Uh, we're a little nervous. I on mean, it. Uh, yeah. How, how cool was, how cool is it? What was this? This was pre COVID. I think was it 2019 or maybe it wasn't pre COVID when the, the RMLC tournament was on the UVU soccer field. Yeah. 20, that was 2018. Yeah. 2018. That was mm-hmm. awesome. Like that yeah. was, that was, that was cool for UVU. It was cool to have a highway and you, you're driving by tons of traffic and you're looking over and it's like, Hey, there's lacrosse happening on UVU campus. I was, that was cool stuff. And so the more of that you get, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so we're, you know, to, uh, what was my point? It was, uh, with, with Matt and, and talking about the branding, uh, of the school, like the UVU is building two buildings. They have like five projects going on every year. And by projects, I mean like new buildings that they're building. Uh, and so there's a lot of really good growth there. And so, uh, the school is a really good fit for a lot of people. Like you said, I think in my opinion, like 98% of, of, of all kids coming out of high school can have a really positive experience and good experience lacrosse wise at UVU uh, and scholastically mm-hmm. too. It's a really good match for a lot of people. And it's not for everybody. I'm not going to say that, you know, the, the most competitive D one guys, but like we have, we have some kids that are coming to our yeah. roster this year that, that had D one offers like, and, and that, that chose to come to UVU rather than go to the D one. And we've got, uh, three of those that are showing up this fall. So, um, well, and I can, I can speak to that from my wife's per- perspective, my wife, uh, who's a significantly better lacrosse player than I ever was. She, she played at the university of Denver for two years at the, on their division one program. Um, she ended up transferring from there to BYU to play for a year, uh, and then ended up transferring to finish her school at UVU. And for her, it was like the UVU was by far the best school experience she had. Uh, she didn't play lacrosse there and there wasn't really an option at the time. This was, this was a while ago. This is like, you know, uh, nearly 20 years ago, not really, I guess 15. Um, but it, it was a long time ago, but for her, like had she landed at UVU on day one, her school experience would have been way better, but that's just not how recruiting works. Sure. Yeah. And, and it takes people to learn what they don't want first to find out what they do want. Right. Like, uh, and, and I think back to our, our, our earlier points, it's because it's they're fed that from the time they're sophomores, especially if they play at competitive high school programs that like your NCAA or your nothing. 
right? Like, oh, you're going to yeah. go play club ball. Well, you're already above that status now where you're at. And, and I just don't think that's the case. Um, listen, we, we've, we've talked here for a while. Um, any clothing, closing thoughts that, that you want to give any, any further messages about the MCLA, the RMLC, um, that you, I mean, you're, you're active on Twitter. Um, uh, anything before before we yeah, sign in off? hibernation right now we're in hibernation right now uh yeah I, I i don't know if i have any closing thoughts but i think it's it was fun you know listening to some of your your other episodes earlier um of the team and the players and i think it's it's a, this is a cool thing it's a cool thing to document the stories you know i work in marketing and we talk about this with all of our clients it's like hey like if you can't tell a story that's compelling uh, nobody's buying what you're selling. And so for, for me, like even listening to the, the captain's episode and a, it was cool for me to be able to hear Max talk about his experience and like, you know, how far Max has come from the time I coached. It's been a long time since I coached Max, but seeing how far he's come and how important he is to the program, I think that stuff is awesome. But being able to hear the stories of the players, it just makes you invested in the program in a way that is uncommon. Uh, so I love that. Like I I'll, I'll be rooting for these guys and cheering for them. Um, but, it's fun. It's fun seeing what you guys are doing, you know, being able to tune into live streams. I hope next year we get audio on the UV live streams. You're, you're, um, you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, some projects I'm taking on real, I don't, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Some projects I'm you're taking good. on so you're that good. you you're aware is I'm going to be working on a lot of the, the game day experience at UVU and awesome. making sure that it, it's more of an experience than it just showing up at a field. Right. So hopefully we should yeah. have commentators, and, uh, coming in yeah, here and good great. ones. So <laughs> Well, and, and and the thing is, it's like you don't really realize when you're a player sometimes how many people have their eyes on you, like sure. from alumni to to the parents to the other team's players to the other people in the league. There's a lot of eyes on you, uh, and I think it's been cool to see UVU rise up to that. You know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick anecdotal story. Uh, having coached against UVU for for many years, yeah, please do. Um, uh, we when we would coach and play against UVU. Before the game, we would talk about, listen, if we can get up on UVU, they will give up. Like they, they will, they will find their place. They'll remember that where their place is here. So what we can't do is let them get momentum in the first quarter. Let's just put them away and the game will be easy. And generally that held kind of true. It's like when, when BYU would, would, would hit UVU in the mouth at the start of the game, it felt like it was kind of over from there. That changed a little bit in 2017. We had a little bit more back and forth, but you know, in the second half, I think we saw the zone defense a little bit from a BYU perspective. We ended up winning by, I think, like six goals, whatever it was. It wasn't like this typical blowout with UVU where it was like, you know, 14-5 or something like that. It's a little bit closer. But what I was impressed with this year was two things. Well, the first game in Provo for UVU, I thought UVU looked amazing from start to finish. Like they looked hyped, ready to go. Um, and like that game was so fun. But, but both teams, I think, played relatively well. Um, and it was just a fun game. And UVU looked good end to end. But what I was more impressed about was in Colorado in the RMLC championship, when UVU got down, in my mind, I was thinking, there it is. Like, that's that's when UVU breaks. Um, and then they didn't. Like, and so that was like, kind of like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a little bit of a turning point. That has not been UVU of the past. And like, for me, that was when it's like, this is a new UVU uh, that you're seeing out there. Because in the past, that was when UVU folded against BYU. And they didn't, uh, not only did they not, they came back. And then you saw you guys do it again against Boston College, like that comeback. I, I was working that day, but I checked the score and I was like, ah, oh, that's too bad. Eight, nothing. Hmm. 
That was a good, that was a good effort from UVU. They had a good year, but tough draw in the first round. And I checked back in like after a couple of meetings, I'm like, holy crap, they won. Like that is a, I thought that was, that was pretty impressive. And it's a sign of the maturity and the change of the program. So excited to see what they can do. Uh, excited to be out at, at different games and, and watching you guys. And, you know, like I said, a lot of eyeballs on you. Like we have group chats on our iMessage that are talking about UVU games that are happening with several different BYU alumni who tuned in, who've coached these kids, that know these kids uh, from high school, from when they were youth. And so uh, a lot of people watching and a lot of people uh, to make proud. Well, hey, and we appreciate that. And we're, we're, we're looking forward for the opportunity to, uh, to live up to expectations and live up to new expectations. It was a really big maturation for the program. Like you said, to get over that, the hurdle of those two games, uh, as far as like one, we'd never beaten BYU in the regular season and two, we'd never beaten him twice in one season. And so that was a really big maturation for, for young players to learn that like, Hey, not a, like it's doable and you've got to buy in, you've got to work hard and you've got to treat yourself uh, like, like a college athlete. And, and you do that and, and special things can happen. So, Hey, uh, Jordan, I've, I'm really appreciative of you coming on. Uh, I, I know I've taken up a, a lot of your time. We consider you oh, a friend. Been fun. I love talking Lex. Love yeah. talking lacrosse. Uh, hey, and, and we love listening to what you put out on virtual varsity. I know, like you said, you're in hibernation right now, but whatever we need to do to, to wake that sleeping bear, because I think the MCLA needs it. They need to be held accountable. They need these ideas that you have. They need those conversations to be stirred because I think that's how growth is going to happen. And I think that's how the right change is going to happen in the MCLA, because like you said, change is going to, is coming and it, and it can either be for good or for bad um, to help the, the sphere of where these athletes can come into and have really good experiences um, needs to be protected and, and grown in the, in the right way. So whatever we need to do to get you to, to wake that hibernating bear, uh, we'll make sure we can do it. We can poke it with a couple of sticks if we need to, but um, like yeah, your, great. your insights are, are amazing. We really, uh, I really appreciate you having, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the, the show. Uh, we'll, we'll try and get you back. I'm going to try and get a co-host um, here in the near future, but uh, uh, hopefully you can come back on and we'll talk more once the season gets going. Cause I, I also want to talk about, I wanted to get into, and I forgot to um, like what you think is going to come up for, for their uh, 2024 season and what teams to, yeah. to look out for. So, Hey, maybe you get Marty as a co-host. You saw his chops on the behind the microphone. That's he's true, and good. and he's got a good voice. In in um, he really does. It's yeah. very soothing when he's not yelling. Sometimes he yells a little bit much. Hey, he's but Coach that's okay. P. Like he's working on it. Yeah, yeah Coach Positive. Okay. The past two years, he's he's changed his he's title to Coach P. P. So, yeah, yeah he he's great. He's, he loves the positivity. Um, and, and, uh, so yeah, we love Marty and we're, we're excited that he's a, Marty's uh, the best. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, and I, I'm glad that he answers my call every day. Cause we're, we're talking about a bunch of different stuff. So, uh, well, Hey Jordan, I'm going to let you go. Uh, this is it for in the Valley.